May the voice of God be heard. Amen. Morning, church. It's great to be here with you. My name is Brian Lutzenberger. For those of you who don't know me, I am a deeply rooted Episcopalian, a member of this parish, a psychologist, a delegate to Diocesan Convention, and a father of two adolescent boys, among other things. I want to give thanks, particularly to Reverend Nancy, for inviting me to preach on this gospel one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the transfiguration, this mountaintop moment. Jesus and Peter and James and John go for a hike up a mountain, and Jesus is transfigured, revealed in glory. We get clouds and Moses and Elijah and the voice of God. Time collapses and Moses and Elijah are speaking to Jesus. Earth and heaven are brought together, and the voice of God declares that Jesus is his Son. And the disciples were terrified, which is imaginable. And what happens next? There you are with Jesus, the prophets, the glowing, and Peter, Peter, Petrus, Pierre, rock, rock upon whom the whole church will be built, blurts out, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love Peter. He makes me feel so much better about myself. Open mouth, insert foot. It was only, you might remember, if you're a reader of Mark, in the previous chapter that we were told that Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. But Peter is who Jesus then brings to this mountaintop moment. Beloved Peter, forgiven Peter, feelings and thoughts so close to the surface, Peter, human Peter, one of us. And listen again to what he says. Let us make three dwellings. He wants to make places to stay. It is good for us to be here. Three dwellings, three homes. Sit, stay a while. Like a Midwestern goodbye, have another piece of pie. We can hear his desire to memorialize the event like monuments to the prophets and to Jesus, one for each perhaps like the Lincoln Memorial, or perhaps like our churches. Things that remind us, that draw us back, that bring us closer to something or someone of value. Let me rest here a while. For we are fragile creatures, mindful but limited by the way, by the capacities of our brains, to stay connected to what we value. We forget. We need monuments, memorials, time-traveling memory aids. Now, I'll admit that I was not always so aware of the importance of things like this. 
but then I married into a family that organizes itself around them. We lost my father-in-law a year and a half ago, and last summer traveled to the small, small, did I say small, town in, of Somerset, Michigan, where the family relocated in 1837 after the Connecticut home factory burned to the ground, where they built the church that still stands, in the back of which is the graveyard in which all the Smiths are buried and where we interred Doug's ashes. A graveyard that is lovingly cared for each Memorial Day by the local members of the family. The importance of these traditions further led to a family tradition of our own that we call Gorilla Gardening, where each year we track down an ancestor's grave site, research their life, and then plant flowers there. Remembering and honoring are important. These things that we do to combat loss and the pain of loss, these ways to commemorate help us to retain what has mattered, what has been important, or who. In a recent series of forums that I led, we discussed how the church is changing how we are called to change, how the way that our gifts are honored and shared can be reconfigured to meet this changing, hurting, broken world that we are called to serve. And an elderly gentleman in the congregation came to me and said, I don't want anything to change. Feel that? I don't want anything to change. When our eldest son was a toddler, but not yet old enough for a big boy bed, when he was just moving out of mandatory high chair dining, I went into the dining room to get something and noticed that all of the bibs were gone. The bowl where we stored the bibs was empty. And after some searching, I found that he had collected them and put them all in his crib. I don't want anything to change. But we are confronted with the reality that everything is always changing. And many of the solutions that we put in place yesterday will not effectively address the problems of tomorrow. How do we live into the moment that we are in knowing that it will change? How do we go forward without losing it? A friend of mine described seeing her son and his wife surfing in a perfect moment. Sun and waves and prime of their lives glory. Glory. While knowing also that this is fleeting with the coming of age and time and life transitions beautiful and painful, as they say in Japan, not to trust But in these conflicts with time and change and loss, we face the risks of nostalgia. On its surface, the wistful remembering of something dear. In its belly, 
the recalcitrant clinging to the ways of the past. This trap makes us vulnerable to the future. In psychotherapy, we see how old solutions, old adaptations become present-day symptoms. It worked once, but now the hanging on to it no longer works to solve problems. And in the face of change and new problems, when hanging on to old, outdated solutions, we suffer. We suffer from the effects of new life, from our lack of being ready, being able, being nimble enough to respond differently, appropriately to what this moment calls for from us. And so I think about our common life together. I think about our dear church. I think about our struggles to survive, our struggles to bring the love of Jesus, to bring the grace of the Spirit, to bring the amazing abundance of all of God's goodness to the world that desperately needs it. This world today, right now, we've been struck down with and struck down by COVID. Our ASAs, average Sunday attendances, are lower. Our average age is older. We lose youth to the busyness of the world. We are seen negatively by many. We are misunderstood as we struggle to understand. Where next? What next? How to move forward? What to bring with us? Do we tear it down? Or do we bump it up and out? I can get so frustrated, so disappointed, so scared, despairing in the face of our struggles and how to find it and how difficult it is to find the path that God is calling us to walk on. And I resonate here with Peter and his struggle. We can sympathize with his efforts to build something, can't we? But Jesus draws him away from that draws them away, down, off the mountain, to face the problems of the world on the path to the crucifixion. And I wonder if Jesus isn't also saying, you don't need all that. You don't need all that. You've got you. Feed my sheep. A number of years ago, I was a member of the Boston chapter of an organization called A Home Within. The organization's purpose is to maintain a network of psychotherapists across the country who agree to provide one hour of free psychotherapy a week to someone who has been through the foster care system. One free hour of psychotherapy a week for as long as it takes. A home within. Google it. The basic principle behind the work here is that we all need to be able to have a sense of a home within us. Even when we never, or perhaps for a period of time, didn't have one to house us. One three hour psychotherapy week for as long as it takes. Like caregivers who are raising children, Relationships where the boundaries and the wisdom, the lessons and the love literally create structures within the child. The things that we teach children 
the ways that we care for children literally wire the brain and create neural pathways upon which structures, life, and growth are built. The home within psychotherapists work to do this, to build the home within the person that going forward they can use the strength of these structures to manage, to enjoy, and to understand their lives. And Jesus says, you've got this. We build memorials, monuments to the glory of God, these amazing, wonderful buildings, these upside-down arts that draw us together, that drew us in, that sheltered us, that stand up for the world to see. But now, facing our own difficult times, we need to find ways to turn these arts right side up and sail out into the world. And Jesus says, you've got this. And I think he's on to something. Why do you come to church? One of my favorite questions. Why do you come to church? Why do you do what we do here? Perhaps it's to remember, to renew, to reconnect to what is deeply, truly important. I've been thinking a lot lately about why I do the things that I do in church. When to kneel, when to reverence, when to cross myself. And I've come to understand that in crossing myself, for example, I remind myself that it is this body, this person, it is me, and you, and you, and you, to whom the love of God has been given. Peter, you don't need to build those monuments because the monuments that you want to build, God has already built in you. This is not the church. We are. This church is a sacrament, an outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual grace that already exists in us. As the caregiver gives to the child, God has built the temple in us. We don't need to build monuments to God. We are monuments to God. Peter didn't need to build those buildings. Peter needed to be Peter. As we confront the challenges and questions of this life, we need to be who God is calling us to be, to activate, to empower, to enable the deep strength of what God has built in us, in you, to be shared with the world, to speak and to care and to love and to manifest the great gift to the world that is you. Because what I need, what we all need, is you. And Jesus says, you've got this.